WordCamerDance.com podcast episode 111. Talvez vou credar pra foto, mas na fundo vou te enganar Certeza vou ter saudade, minhas beijas, boca tá enganando Boca tá enganando Welcome to the WhereCanWeDance.com podcast The podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide Who have fallen in love with music and dancing Music crosses borders around the world Allowing us to share the stories of our emotions, culture, and history Music also gives us the power to travel through time with nostalgia. Dance is a universal language of our bodies that unites us regardless of age, race, skin tone, or our dance styles. At wherecanwedance.com, we are dedicated to gathering all your dance events into one convenient place. Join us now as we explore the stories of the organizers, instructors, DJs, and passionate dancers like you that make these events possible. And now, here's your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello. Welcome to the WhereCameDance.com podcast coming at you with another episode. And here we have on the line, his name is William Araujo. Is, am I pronouncing that correctly? Araujo, Araujo. Almost, almost. Araujo. So the O is silent. Yeah. Does it have a particular meaning? Uh, not that I know of. I know it's an Argentinian last name. Some Somehow it got to, to Cape Verde. And uh, interesting, yeah, it's, it's like a purple flower. So I, I looked it up once just a, lo a long time ago. <laughs> so there's some crossover with Argentinian culture in Cabo Verde. Yeah, you have a little community of uh, Cape Verdean people in Argentina, I heard, because they also listen to, to my music over there. So I was like, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask a little bit further question. So Arauj, is that from your mom's side or my your dad's, dad's side? side? So your dad is Argentinian? No, he's not. He, he's from Cape Verde. He was born there. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 got, it must have got lost someplace when somebody went to Cape Verde a long, long, long time ago. My mother is Barreto, which, Interesting. which is another Portuguese name. So, yeah. Interesante. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, un poquito, so. Un poquito. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out to do a little quick interview here with us. Um, Robert out of L.A. connected us and he mentioned that you are going to be doing a little bit of a tour next month. So he figured that it'll be good for us to connect and talk a little bit about your history and what you got coming up and like life as an artist and things like that. But nothing too crazy. Yeah. Uh, my name is William Arouche, Cape Verdean singer, songwriter, producer, born and raised in the Netherlands. Signed to the label of Hasamau before I worked a lot with uh, Nelson Freitas and another couple of Kizomba artists. Almost all of them worked with me once in the studio. And mm -hmm. I've been producing and writing songs since the age of 17 professionally. And that mm -hmm. was when I first came into the band with Johnny Ramos and a lot of other artists at Mobase. And been doing it ever since. And like I said, I have the new album out this summer, VV. Before that, the album's uh, Red, which had songs like Sulebang. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm basically touring now, promoting the album. Uh, first show in the States will be the December 9th. That will be in the Strand in mm -hmm. Boston. And the week after, we'll do in LA and so on and so on. Then it's back to Cabo Verde. And then it's back to Holland, Portugal. And so on. So you were born and raised in Amsterdam, yeah? Rotterdam, Rotterdam. Amsterdam Rotterdam. Is, the, is, the, is the capital of Holland, but I was uh, born and raised in Rotterdam. 
It's very interesting now. So I've been a kids instructor for the last 10 years, and it's been interesting to see the history of the Holland. And I, from my understanding, from interviewing Johnny Ramos and some of the other Cape Verde, it seems to be the home of Ghetto Zook. Yeah. Johnny Ramos, for example, was the first person that gave me a chance at the age of 17 to write songs for him. So, uh, And then after that, he put me like, And at a very young age, I was like his background singer. And from there, started working mm -hmm. in the studio. So, yeah, he's one, uh, he's one of the people that gave me my first shot. So how did you find out about Johnny Ramos? Did you already know about him from listening? Oh, yeah. Like, give us a little snapshot of growing up in Holland with Cape Verdean descent and, you know, like the hip hop and like the Kizomba and... Give us a little glimpse of that time period. Johnny Ramos, the first time I heard him sing was uh, on the album of Mo Bass because I went to the st uh, to the CD store. You, you had to buy CDs at the time. And I saw like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a team of artists like then. And, and I saw Johnny Ramos singing the song Mazum Chance. And I must have been like 12 years old. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what I want to do later. Because before him, the, the Cape Verdean singers, they would sing, but in a very Cape Verdean style. And he was the first person that, incorporated like you know uh the soul the hip-hop r&b type of singing him and his and his cousin uh, nelson freitas who then signed me to his label ghetto zoo music put me to work as a producer mm -hmm. and yeah that was the early stages and it was like rotterdam was like a laboratory for for creating cape Verdean music uh the ghetto zook everything so yeah mm-hmm Yeah, I remember some of those old school songs with Nelson, like trying to rap ghetto zoo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over here in the States, it's just like these guys are trying to rap, but it's not working. But we love the music <laughs> still, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote this piece of content not too long ago that really, if we zoom out, hip hop and R&B comes from black people, but in the U.S., And here are you guys, black people of Cape Verdean descent from Africa, but in Europe. But you guys brought your musical history from Cabo Verde to a European place. And then through the inspiration of like intercontinental R&B music from if we talk about like African diasporic art forms. Right. I feel like hip hop and R&B classifies as that. Yep. And now there's this inspiration and influence that gives birth to Ghetto Zook, which is like now taking over the globe, listening to Kizomba. And then I feel Ghetto Zook music even inspired a lot of the urban kids dancers to start to dance Kizomba in a different way, you know? Yeah, I understand what you say, because in the beginning, uh, when we used to dance, it, it wasn't Kizomba at, at the beginning. It was like Pasada, you had like the Tereshinga, the Angolan dance. And then then the Kizomba, as we know it now, uh, came, came to life. Because for me, it was like crazy, because the, the thing is, when you see a show, when I perform a show and you turn off the sound, and you're in Cape Verde or in Portugal, you might say it's a hip-hop show because the people are all doing this and everything. So the first time I went to sing at a Kizomba party, I was like, it was in a convention in Poland, and it was the Kizomba, Warsaw Kizomba Festival. And I was shocked because I started singing and the people started dancing. I was like, what's going on? But they're, they're really dancing. It was like, okay, they're enjoying, but yeah, yeah. that's their way of... of, of, of of enjoying uh, a Kizomba show and it's 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 very interesting to see how the perspective of 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 enjoying Kizomba in every place in the world is different because in Holland it's different mm -hmm. and then you go to to uh, to Portugal is different in Angola it's different it's mm -hmm. it's interesting yeah 
Kaisha was telling me this. I, I interviewed him many years ago, but he was telling me he went to somewhere where they were dancing uh, Brazilian zouk yeah, to his yeah. music. Yeah, I did those shows too. Lamb- Lamb- they called like- it Lamba Zouk at the time. And they, they would mm-hmm. dance like a uh, type of Lambada. Yeah. They're like the turning and all those things. Yeah, I went to those shows too. All the crazy too. hair. And- yeah, the head it's, movements. It's so, it's so fascinating to see the transcendence of music across geographical borders. Yeah. You know? And the expression of that happiness, either through just like hip hop club or Kizomba or Brazilian Zouk or whatever it is. And some people don't even understand the lyrics. No, you no, know? it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's like, vibe it's it. vibes. It's like when I used to listen to Kasaf as a kid, I, I never understood French, but I knew that. I don't know what he's saying, but I was like, <laughs> we used to dance it at every every, every party we had. So uh, just to say, like Strumai, I love Strumai, but some of the songs I don't understand when he speaks French very very fast. I don't understand what he's saying, but I enjoy the music anyway. And for us Cape Verdeans, for example, Cesare Evera was like the queen of Cape Verdean music. It was like oh, she, she opened up a lot of doors. So yeah, it's it's beautiful to see. It's definitely beautiful to see. Uh, let's take a little peek into your upbringing as a songwriter. You said that you saw Johnny Ramos when you were like 12, and then you said you started professionally producing music at 17. What happened between 12 and 17 that you started to like practice or what were your first like attempts, My attempts at were- <laughs> music and things like that? In my family, everybody plays an instrument. So I started off with the guitar. Uh, because I wanted to play drums, but my mom said no. <laughs> too too much noise Why? and everything. Oh, she said, too much noise. She was so now nah, I'm not gonna put you on no drums. And then I said, craziest thought, I wanted to play the accordion. Don't ask me, you know, kids. So I, I saw accordion, so nah, yeah, yeah. you're not doing that either. You're gonna play guitar like your uncles and everything. So they started with the first, uh, the first lessons. And then I went to guitar school and I started some with the piano. But my real passion was like doing poetry and all those stuff, like writing. Really? Yeah, and I used to get into contests at the Jeugd Theater. Is, is, uh, how can I compare Jeugd Theater? It's like a contest for uh, kids between 12 and, you know, like, yes, in high school. So after that, uh, I combined the two and I was like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to try. And I, I'm just going to walk up to one of those guys and say, hey, I'm William Rouge. I play the guitar and I sing. And there was a CD, like a CD shop where all the guys used to go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, my name is William Marouge and uh, I play the guitar. And they were like, okay, play us something. And I played them something. And they were like, Vado said, okay, you can come by the studio tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, I made it. <laughs> I went to school the next day, told nice. everybody, I'm going to the studio. And I'm like, yo, can we come with you? Of course you can come with me. So he went to pick me up at school and he saw me with like five guys. He said, yeah, you can take the train. I'll see you there later. I was like, okay, first lesson. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> and, yeah, and then, then, then at, at 17, uh, Sebastian dos Santos, who was uh, together with Johnny Ramos, they formed Mobase. And it was like mm-hmm. the, the biggest, the biggest thing in Cape Verde music at the time as a label. And they signed me and they put me to work immediately. So yeah, there was, there was the, the gap from, from trying to write, write a song because I, I knew how to write a song, but I didn't know how to uh, compose a song, like to make it like with the parts and that, that I, I had to learn along the way. Yeah, the phrasing, the beats, and what's the verse, what's the chorus, all these kind of yeah, things. Yeah, that, that's, that's it's interesting to see it from a producer standpoint. Yeah, Go because ahead. you can you, you can write a song, but you to, to write like a hit or like how other people are gonna perceive it, 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 you have to have some 
practicing that. So that was that was the time mm-hmm. until I was seventeen. I was still until till today. I'm still still learning lines, and I don't. I think you 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 gotta as an artist, you gotta keep like improving yourself. So until until today, I'm still improving yeah. myself. What I'm doing. That's that's wonderful. That's awesome that you had that uh, opportunity to write poetry, and you had your uncles to help you with the guitar, and then poetry. I feel like. Writing is a very interesting skill. Um, I have a newsletter. I've been writing it and I've been consistent for like a couple of weeks now. But like to be able to organize your thoughts and inspire a feeling, you know, and then even now adding music to the poetry and a beat, it still has to follow a certain structure because it's all four, four music, oh, yeah. you know. So like, how does this bar fit with this eight count to the six exactly. counts to the 32 counts? And then does the music complement the feeling and the poetry that you're trying to put into your song, you know? Exactly. It's like uh, when, when I started doing music first, I, I, I used to write the song, like write a whole poem and then like chop off words so that, so it could fit like in the mm-hmm. four, four and the six, mm-hmm. what, what we're saying. But uh, now today, like how music changed, even the producing, because uh, back in the day, you had to be the producer. You had to have all the answers. You have to know where the melody is going to be. When somebody co- comes mm. to you to buy a song, you got to know what you're going to do. And now it's like uh, we have so much technology and so so many ways of working together. You could be like three people working on one song. And uh, the way that I do it now is I do the melody first because that was something I didn't mm. understand because my basic was from writing. And I didn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. understand like, okay, what's a melody that sticks in your head? I wanted to say a lot, sometimes too much, mm. or I was too deep. You, you know, people are not going to understand it. You're going to, you got <laughs> to, this gotta, is true. This okay, is true. it's beautiful. I know it's beautiful, but it's not going to sell. You got to trim that down a bit you to gotta, stay. You got to simplify yeah, it. You got to simplify it. it to stay in your essence, not lose yourself, but also not lose the public. So it's like a, a, a constant game of, uh, yeah, let's see when we get the perfect mixture of, uh, of elements. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know in a lot, I think there was a study I saw that says most music is written in like a fifth grade written, fifth grade level. You know, yeah, and the, the, because the easy and it just makes it easier for people because not everybody has English as their first language, you know. So the more you're able to simplify it, the more international it's going to be, you know. Yeah, you can see, and as long as it's not, it's, it's not going to be boring. Even if you put like ten, mm-hmm. if, if you get at a point like, okay, you're losing them here, okay, you're gaining them back here, okay. The first ten seconds, most important, and that's like a process that you got to go as a producer to to understand. And the only way to do it is to like, uh, yeah, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it until someone says, okay, I got something right now. And maybe it could be a hit song if I do it. Or maybe if someone else do it, it's a hit song. If when I do it, it's like, nah, it's, it's a flop. We, d- we didn't believe William singing a song like this. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of elements that, uh, yeah, that's the beauty of, of music. You know, it's, I, I would say if it comes from the heart, I usually now, nowadays I feel like, okay, this is my song. I feel, I feel I'm going to sing it the way it should be sang or it's written the way I want it to have it. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that that thread of the artist of like change, staying true to yourself, but also still trying to modify to like what's going to hit. Because obviously, you know, don't put all this money into I'm sorry, time into it and then not be able to like continue to have it spread and earn money from that and things of that nature, you know. So there's like this balance of catering to the market, but then also catering to your soul. And hopefully they can go together, you know, but. Yeah, hopefully they can go together. But sometimes, you know, you got to do songs like, uh, like, like, like I'm signed to a label. And sometimes I got to see like strategic, I got to do strategic stuff too, because I know, okay, uh, mm. I don't believe it at first, but when it works, you'd be like, okay, oh, it works. You know, as long as I'm making people happy. It's feedback. Yeah. As long as I'm making people happy, that's the main, 
that's the main thing I want to do because I'm going to keep making music regardless. Even if, imagine if I don't sell any records or I don't tour the world like I'm doing now, or I'm going to keep mm -hmm. creating music because that's what you're feeling inside. You're a creator. So yeah, I think everybody that makes yeah. music is not going to stop making music just because somebody else didn't like the song or it didn't took off. Exactly. So now catering to the people who like your music versus like, Oh, that's, Okay, some people might not like it, but a lot of people do, you know? Awesome. I'm curious about how you met Johnny Ramos. And then you said you're also signed to Rasamao. And that's, I mean, if you guys don't know on the podcast, that's LG. And LG is super influential in the urban kids scene for our dance, you know? Yeah. Because that that album that he came out with, uh, Rasamao, like 2014 or something like that. Ululu. So many, when he started mixing dubstep, with the Kizomba rhythm and stuff like that. That was a really, really, really big album in the Kizomba world for us to dance to. But when you started with Johnny Ramos, you were signed under what label? Uh, I wasn't signed yet. I started with him and then I signed to Mobase. That was his mm -hmm. label at the time together with Sebastian dos Santos. And after that, okay. I was signed to Ghetto Zoop Music. And now I'm at Hasamau. Uh, Hasamau, the way that I met LG is because I, he was still in the States. And I think it was in 2000 and, phew, 2010, I think, when I had my second album, which was produced by Nelson Freitas, was, was a request. And he was living in the States. And I, I just met him there quickly. And then he came to a show in Switzerland. And we got mm -hmm. to talking. And after that, we stayed like, you know, just, hey, friends, you know, colleagues of the game. And yeah. yeah. Then he came to Holland and I had a beat, the one that called Tra. And you heard the beat. He was like, yes, yes, yes. He yes, was yes. like, yo, this, this is a hot song, man. Uh, uh, I said, yeah, if you, if you want, you can get on it. And okay, then we started with that one song. And then uh, mm -hmm. there was like a, 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 a Gro, I don't know if you know the song Grog, the one that I did with LG and Dynamo together. It was like a beat. For uh, I think that rings a bell. Yeah, it, it, so you guys, you guys have so many years of yeah. <laughs> After that one, he, he was like, okay, we we had a talk in a in an elevator. I'll never forget it. And okay, so yo, let's do this. And I signed to Hasimau, and I've been with Hasimau ever since. It feels like home. Uh, <laughs> when we produce together, it always clicks. It's always without any fuss. It, it comes naturally when he needs something. Okay, I'll give him a melody. When I need something, he gives me a melody. So it's. It's it's easy working like this. Mm, that's awesome. How was it working with LG? I've heard I've never spoken to him, but I've heard he's like a genius in the in the in the in the lab in the studio. With, oh yeah, with yeah, the yeah. beats that he creates and stuff like that. How how was that experience of like collaborating with him on a song? Again, with him, it comes it, for to me. It's like it comes naturally. We never just go in like we're gonna mm. make this type of song. We're gonna make like the last song I did, I did with him was Sulebang. There was a beat he was mm -hmm. he had already had it in the trash and I was like okay I'm not gonna use this one and then and I came there to see that we were like okay picking this whoa yo this one is again without any any stress or or anything working with him is uh, when you see him behind the keys he's like he understood he understands his tools and he's very mm -hmm. very inspired and the easy thing is when he's not inspired. We don't do anything, but yo, we go to the studio, we chill, we talk, we, mm. we play a little bit of Nintendo Switch, we, we do whatever. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it's never a, a case of, uh, we, yo, we, we, we're set to do this and it's gotta work. And sometimes it takes a bit mm. longer. Sometimes it comes like, yo, two, two songs. Like with my, my latest album, I went 
for a camp for about seven days. And I came practically uh, with the other producer, Moral, came practically with the album done. It was like, okay, we had the verses, we had all the important stuff, and then we just chopped and, yo, done. So it's easy going working Fascinating. Here. That's awesome. So you're, we're with Mo Bass and then Ghetto Zuki Music and now Rasamau. So what does life look like like as you started when you were 17, I'm not sure how old you are now. I'm not sure if you want to share how old you are now, but so many years in the in the game now, traveling, singing. Uh, I think we all know your Suleban. What does Suleban mean, by the uh, way? If you take me with you. So I'm I'm basically saying, mm. yeah, if she takes me with her, I'll, I'll go whatever she wants. I'll take her whatever she wants to go. And it's like a love song, you know, <laughs> it's R&B. It's, it's like the whole love uh, songs of, of that nature, you know, what are. I guess, what does life look like today? Like, especially with the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. Today? Today was easy because, like I said, I'm older traveling. When, I, when I'm at home, I want to spend time with my kids. I also got two boys. So today I woke up like 6.30. Couldn't see, woke up because I'm preparing a lot of stuff. Okay, brought the kids to school, came back, finished watching The Crown. <laughs> That's a, a serial Netflix. Then I went to the gym, came back, ate something, pick up my son. Uh, okay, ate some again. Now doing this podcast, eight a, uh, eight p.m. So in about ten minutes, fifteen minutes, I gotta leave to go to another meeting at the studio, and then yeah, then I'm free for the after the studio. I'm done because I never know how much time I'll spend uh, at the studio because sometimes, like I said, it comes fast, and sometimes we spend like just hours and hours. And uh, I try not to make it as late as I used to because I used when I was a bit younger I, I would love to go yeah. to the studio after midnight because I always said midnight was the best time to create it's silent nobody's outside and but now I'm like okay I like the structure a bit in because I got a family now so especially with the kids and taking them yeah. to school and all those kind of things for example know? like the whole month of December I'll, like I said I'll be in the States I'll come back and then I'll go back and then I go to Cape Verde and I'm missing for Christmas I'm missing for for New Year's because I'm traveling. So anytime I'm, I'm, I'm in the Netherlands, I like to spend most of my time at home. And if there's, awesome. a, there's Especially a party, with the family, because you know, that time with your kids, when they're younger, that, that time doesn't come back. Yeah. And then basically for every artist, I think we're grateful for our families because they're allowing us to do this. I'm doing this in, in my kids time, you know, traveling the world, doing whatever I like. Okay. It's my job. I understand, but it's also their time. I can't get it back. To be to be honest, so, but yeah, it's 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 part of life. I think every every artist that tours uh, goes through the same thing. But I think you also got to walk in your destiny. And I think I was put here to make music, make people happy, and I think they're gonna be happy when they see their dad's happy. So, <laughs> yeah, and then it's interesting the identity of like being a parent doesn't. It's not your primary identity. You're still who you are before you had your kids, you know. And it's just like a new responsibility, but you still can't lose yourself. In the identity of parenthood. Yeah, and I saw that once uh, is a, is a, a Dutch cabaret uh, chase, like a comedian who was safe. People always say, "Yeah, the most beautiful day of my life is when my my kid was born or anything." He was like, "Yeah, okay, that's a beautiful day." But he said, "For me, the most beautiful day in my life is when I." first noticed what I wanted to go and do in the world, who I wanted to be. And in his case, it was a comedian. It was like, yo, this is one, this is who I want to be. This is when I go. This is my dream. This is going to pursue to whatever. And I, I, I understand that uh, a bit too. Exactly. For sure. 
That's awesome. As far as this upcoming tour and you're going to be having your new album, what what do you want to let the people know in Boston? What do you want to let the people know in L.A. with Rob? I know he's trying to promote it over there. Um, I know he has a promo code if you're listening as well. I think it's promo code NeoKiz. If you can save some money on your pass, I'll be sure to link the promo code in the show notes of this podcast. But yeah, I, I you I know you live in Holland and you're going to be going into the international tour. But what would you tell the people of Boston and L.A. for the shows coming up? Oh, it's going to be a very nice show. It, it, I, I'm, I'm even I always enjoy performing. But this one I'm very excited to bring to the people because it's going to be like a hit stunt. Also, last couple of months, I've been having great reaction on all, almost every song. This, the song that I did with LG, like you mentioned, Shish Dama, uh, which I say with him is also doing good. So they're going to expect a vibrant show. I'm bringing the people from Boston. I'm bringing some special guests with me. In LA, I'm gonna do some special tracks, like in, in, in a different in a different code. So it's gonna be a very interactive show, and uh, I can't wait to go over there to you guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. I have a curious question. As an artist that's producing music and things of that nature, and you know, you mentioned before CDs. And before it was the selling of the CDs and like you had to actually go to a store and or get it shipped to you. And this transformation of now everything's digital and streaming. How has that impacted like income as an artist and a producer? Like what are your sources of income and things of that nature? In my case, the income, I think, is bad because with CDs, you're like uh, my song is out now everywhere in the world at one time. And in the beginning, you had to like press the CD. You had to get the CD over to the countries where you wanted them to. And mm-hmm. in our case, usually it was when we were traveling. I remember still, we used to go with the cases between the <laughs> yeah, and, and then go and, and, and like charge the people. And like, uh, it was, a, it was a whole mess. And now with, with, with the, with the digital world we live in today, Honestly, even if I had a CD in my house, I don't know where I go. I would have to play it. Maybe you don't even have car. a CD player anymore. No, I don't know, you know where to play a CD anymore. But uh, just to be like, uh, okay, with Spotify and it, it's so much easier, and everybody can share. And with streams, for me, it's better because uh, I'm Samuel Hasamal, but I have a distribution deal with uh, Altafont, which is a company that does all the distribution, the promotion, mm-hmm. and everything. And that's the way my income. Is, is linked with that. So uh, for me, it's much, much better than the time when we had CDs because you had a lot of middlemen. You had to p- print the CDs. You had a lot of production mm-hmm. costs. The shipping of the CDs and the shipping, shipping the, the production costs, especially, especially for a CD because uh, in that time, I don't know how, how much it was, but you had to have a booklet you could choose if you wanted a cardboard CD or that you had, you had to invest mm. in that too. And then mm-hmm. it, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I, I love that time because the people were more familiar with, for example, your face, who you are, who did mm. everything. You had more time for like now it's, that's the downside. Also, like I said, my music is everywhere at the same time. It's also very fast. People listen to yeah. an album. Okay. Williams got a new album. Okay. I listen to that and I have an opinion straight away because it's different when you have a CD. When I bought a CD back in the day, I would listen to it for at least a month. And then I would mm-hmm. be like, okay. Or it also inspires you to listen to the whole thing from the whole thing to end, because you, you would have the whole experience. So you would have the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, I have an album out and I have a song that like, that's the song that I released with a video. People are, you have to have a video. If you don't have a video, the song is not going to pop the same way. If you, you, you didn't, you so you know, so mm-hmm, they'd be mm-hmm. like, okay, 
uh, this is a song. Like I released a song because I meant it's a compa song. I never did compa. It was my first time trying compa, and it was released mm -hmm. uh, last week on Thursday or Wednesday. Thursday or Wednesday, I, I released the song, and people were like, "Whoa, wh what is this?" And where does? And I was like, "Okay, it wasn't. It was on the album." So people didn't. You understand? Because the first time they go, oh, no, what are and the song that they saw first, that's the song's going to get mm -hmm, attention. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, it's it's a different different way of consuming music. I don't know if it's better mm -hmm. or worse, but uh, it's evolution. And I always like... It's evolution. It's evolution. It does allow you to scale so much exactly, more. Exactly. Because yeah? I think, for example, like the Kizomba world, if it, if it was in the CD time, I don't know if it would take off... Imagine we didn't have YouTube or uh, Spotify. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would take off the way that that, that Kizomba's world right now because it would be inaccessible for some people if you don't have a CD. Or you have to go to, a, mm -hmm. to Napster maybe. But yeah, you got to go and find the Kizomba. And now you can yeah, go on yeah. YouTube. Okay, I want to see a, a clip of Kizomba. How to dance Kizomba. Which songs are popping. And it's, mm. it's way, way, and way the DJs easier. DJs have easier access to the music as well. So that yeah. way they can play your songs at the party and things like that as well. You know? Yeah, because I, I, I check my, my, my statements every time. Sometimes you see Australia. What? That song's playing over in Australia? Like, for example, I went to Romania once. I was like, yeah, Romania. Yeah, yeah, your song's doing very good. Why don't you come see it? Okay, I went too. And it, it, would, it would be different because in the time that we only had CDs, okay, it was the Portuguese-speaking countries You wouldn't think to send us CDs to Romania. It's like they don't even speak the language. Why go there, you know? Exactly. And then I have to have a guy so in Romania who, who does my business. I have to have a guy that... Yeah, it was, it was a bit difficult. All right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, William. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to share a little bit of your history and your excitement for coming up to the States. Um, it's always a pleasure to learn a little bit more about the culture and about the singers and the people that are behind the scenes of creating the music that we enjoy. So I thank you for taking some time to share a little bit of your day and you history me. with our audience. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invite. And like I said, I can't wait to go and, uh, and perform for you guys and everyone full time and once again thank you and uh, yeah yeah shout out to Rob for making this happen brother shout out we Rob. love you <laughs> and yeah brother thanks so much for your time you too man please <laughs> thank you for checking out the wherecanwedance.com podcast be sure to check out the website to find your next dance event where we are dedicated to put all of your events in one freaking place again that's wherecanwedance.com and we'll see you in the next episode Peace.